the search for truth is the most important work in the whole world and the most dangerous. The truth is dangerous because it does not blink. It does not waver. It simply is never changing. Those that don't have it fear it. It can transform both minds and hearts. It can trigger both dissent and rebellion. It can end wars and unite nations. Truth is dangerous, but absolutely necessary. And so, the great struggle in life becomes how to find truth, where to search for it. When it's all said and done, this is our burden. This is our journey and our great adventure. The truth is the only thing that matters, and the truth shall set us free. Well, good morning and welcome to Orchard Church. Good to see you guys today. Hey, can we just celebrate again that incredible life change testimony from Joel that we watched in the rundown? That was incredible. And I really want to encourage all of you, if you've never been scripturally baptized by immersion, to go public with your faith, to sign up for our next baptism on March 4th. We had our first baptism in our new building back in December. We baptized 85 people right here in our service. We're praying for well over 100 to be baptized on March 4th. So it will be a very meaningful day to you. So you can sign up in your connection card. If you have any questions about it, you can go to our baptism booth out in the lobby. They can get you started with any questions or anything that you have as far as that goes. I want to tell you this, uh, they had our fuel student ministry on Wednesday night right here. Uh, they had about 176 uh, middle school and high school students, and 32 of them signed up to be baptized on the 4th. So can we praise God for that? It's awesome, awesome. Well, hey, take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, as we are kicking off our new four-week series called What's the Difference? We're going to be comparing biblical Christianity to some other major faiths and religions around the world. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, what's the difference between biblical Christianity and Mormonism. Uh, the following week, we're going to talk about Islam. And then the final week, when we're going to have baptism, we're going to talk about Catholicism. I want to share my heart as we kick off this series. I want you guys to know it is not our intention uh, to attack other religions or to bash other people of other faiths or offend people. Uh, that's not our heart at all here at Orchard Church. But there is a difference. I, would, I think we would agree. And we're going to look at the differences. And if you've got friends in other religions that are curious, invite them to come. You may be here today because someone invited you. You heard this series. And we are thrilled that you're here as we share the difference between biblical Christianity and some other major religions. And that's really what the book of Galatians is is all about. And I want to challenge you to read this book because this is the book we're going to be in for the next several weeks as we do this study. You can read it in one sitting. It's only six chapters. Um, read the book of Galatians because 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration and leading of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Galatians, I don't know if he realized it at that time, but as you read it today, he addresses all the major religions we're going to be looking at. He doesn't know what their names were, but you're going to see them in the book of Galatians as we go the next several weeks. Here's how I want to start out today. We're going to kind of take a 30,000-foot view today and talk about the difference between biblical Christianity and, and really all the other religions, no matter what label they're under, by, by asking, first of all, this question, well, what's a Christian? Okay, what, what is a Christian? I think we would agree if we were to go to the mall and we asked 10 people, what is a Christian, we'd probably get 10 maybe very different answers. Um, the reason it's difficult to define what a Christian is today is because, believe it or not, the Bible never defines it. 
The Bible never really defines what a Christian is. You only find the word Christian two to three times in your Bible, depending on which translation you use, and it's actually used by those outside the church, not inside the church, which we're going to look at one of those examples in just a moment. But society has definitely tried to give us a lot of definitions of what a Christian is. And there's a lot of different people today that are very different that claim to to be Christians. I, I put together a list just to kind of set the context for this series of people that you probably heard of that all claim to be a Christian. Um, how many you know of Stephen Colbert? You ever heard of Stephen Colbert? Okay, claim, claims to be a Christian. How about Tom Hanks, right? You know, Forrest Gump, run, Forrest, run. He claims to be a, a Christian. Any Elvis Presley fans in the house? You like Elvis? No, nobody wants to admit that, okay. Um, Elvis cl- claimed to be a Christian, okay, claimed to be a Christian. Th- this one probably won't surprise you. A uh, guy named Tim Tebow, okay? <laughs> Like Tim, all right. He claims to be a Christian. I heard this this week as I was preparing for this. I don't know if it's true or not that uh, Tom Brady actually uh, claims to be a Christian. I I don't know. I'm not one to judge, but he claims to be a Christian. Uh, How'd you guys like that Super Bowl? Did you like that game? That was pretty good. All right. Here's another guy. Now, we're going back a few years, all right? So uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit. Remember a guy named Mr. T? You know, from Rocky, you know, Clubber, you got to love Mr. T. I pity the fool, you know. Mr. T cl- claims to be a Christian. Um, how about this one? Justin Bieber. Ju- any, any, any Bieber fans, believers? Okay, got a couple of them that are willing to admit it. There was only one lady that was willing to admit it in the first service, that she was a Justin Bieber fan, but he claims to be a Christian. You know, Justin, Despacito. That's Marcial, our Spanish pastor's favorite song, by the way. You can ask him. Um, how about this one? Going back a few years, um, Alice Cooper. Any Alice Cooper fans in the house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they'll admit that. Bieber fans, they won't admit it, but Cooper fans. Uh, he claims to be a Christian, claims to be a Christian. I mean, all these are very different kinds of people, yet they all claim to be Christians. Let me do a little comparison of two very different families, and, and I want to ask you, which one of these families do you believe claims to be a Christian? First, we got the Robertson family, you know, D- Duck Dynasty fans, the guys that brought beards back, okay, if you like that. Um, and then you got the Kardashians, okay, the Kardashian ladies. So let me just ask you, which of these two families do you believe claims to be a, a Christian? I'm hearing different things, all right? So we got these two families, all right? Let me give you two very different individuals and ask you which of these two claimed to be a Christian, at least publicly. Was it Adolf Hitler or was it Mother Teresa that claimed to be a Christian? I heard a couple of people say both. If you said both, you're right. The truth is, at least publicly, both of these people claim to be Christian. Both families, the Robertsons and the Kardashians today, claim to be Christian. Do you see why it's difficult to define what Christian is? A lot of different people, different kinds of people, but they claim to, to be Christian. Um, this was, and so what is the definition of a Christian? This was one media personality's definition of a Christian. And so if you claim to be a Christian, tell me if you would like to be associated with this definition from the media. This person said, Christians are judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. That was... 
This guy's definition of Christianity. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be associated with that definition. And then you have all these different Christian headings and different beliefs and religions. Uh, Protestants claim to be Christian. Catholics claim to be Christian. Lutherans, Presbyterians, Anglicans, Greek Orthodox, Assemblies of God, um, Baptists. And then you got subheadings. You've got Southern Baptists, Missionary Baptists, American Baptists, and the list goes on and on and on. And the question is, okay, what is a Christian? What, 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 what is a Christian, especially when the Bible never really defines it? And, and let me help you to understand it this way. Um, Christ was not Jesus' last name. All right, it wasn't like Mary Christ and Joseph Christ had Jesus Christ. It wasn't his last name. Christ means Messiah. And the Old Testament promised that there would one day be a Messiah that would come to be the Savior of the world. That's why he's Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. So so that's not really where it came from. Uh, It's not like Jesus showed up on the scene and said, hey, you know, I want you to know I'm starting a brand new religion. I'm going to name it after myself. Okay, that, that's, that's not how it went down, down either. It was actually those outside the church that were not believers or followers of Jesus Christ that came up with the word and the name Christian. The first time you see it in your Bible is in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and it says this, and the disciples, everybody say disciples, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Those outside the church. See, those that were believers and followers of Christ that had put their faith and trust in Jesus didn't call themselves Christians. They just called themselves disciples. That's why discipleship ministry is so important here at Orchard Church because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, go and make Christians. He said, go and make disciples. And so what does this word disciple or disciples literally mean? Here's here's a definition. I hope you'll take some notes. You're going to learn some things in this series that are going to help you and as you talk to other people and, and answer what is the difference. Disciples means this, followers or students of Jesus Christ. Followers or learners of Jesus Christ. Followers or students, that's what a disciple is. And the outsiders basically saw these people who were following Jesus, had put their faith and trust in Jesus, and they said, man, you guys, you you act like Jesus, you talk like Jesus, you're kind of like little Jesus juniors. You're, you're, You're Christers, you're Christians. And, and the word Christian literally means little Christ. And that's where the word Christian comes from. One of the things that you're going to hear us talk about in this series over and over and over for the next four weeks is not just Christian or Christianity because there's so many different definitions. But what we're going to talk about is biblical Christianity. Because we have about 11 values here at Orchard Church. When you're walking the halls, those signs on the wall are our values. Our number one value here at Orchard Church, those of you that attend regularly, help me out, is what does the Bible say? Y'all left me hanging just now. You did not help me out. Okay, what's our number one value? What does the Bible say? And so we're not going to let society define Christianity. We're going to ask, what does the Bible tell us about it? And here's what we're going to find as a biblical definition of what a biblical Christian is. And here's your definition. I hope you'll put this in your notes. A biblical Christian is someone who has believed and received the gospel and has become a follower of Jesus. That's a biblical definition, and we're going to unpack this. A biblical Christian is someone who has believed and received the gospel and has become a follower of Jesus. Everybody say the gospel. The gospel. Say it again. The gospel. 
that is a word that you see over and over in the Bible. And even though the Bible doesn't really specifically define Christian, it does define the gospel. And the gospel are those who believe and receive the gospel. Those are what we know today as biblical Christians. And anytime you see gospel in your Bible, the, the definition of gospel is good news. Good news equals the gospel. The gospel equals good news. Help me out. The gospel equals good news. Good news equals the gospel. It's the same thing, and different translations will go back and forth. The gospel, the good news, it's the same thing. So really what we need to talk about is the gospel, because the Bible talks about the gospel over and over, and the apostle Paul clearly defined what the gospel is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, he said this, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the what? Good news or the Come on, don't fall asleep on me. Let, me. let me remind you of the good news or the gospel. Some of your Bibles will say that. I preached to you before, and he's going to unpack. Here's the definition biblically of the gospel. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross. He gave his body. He shed his blood to cover and pay for our sins. He, he died and then he was put in a borrowed tomb because he only needed it for three days. On the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the sin and the grave. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we can be restored in our relationship with God. That, yeah, we can celebrate that. Hey, we're going to clap. Let's clap it up. Come on. That's the gospel. That's what a biblical Christian is. It's someone who has believed and received the gospel. Then that brings us to the book of Galatians. Let me give you the context of why the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. It was actually, uh, unlike some of Paul's letters that were written to specific individual churches, like the church in Corinth, this was written to a group of churches. It was in the region of Galatia, um, or, or known as Asia Minor in the Bible. Today we know this area as the area of Turkey. It's modern-day Turkey. And, and the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest church planters and missionaries to ever live, and he would go into these towns, and he would tell people about what Jesus had done for them, his death, burial, and resurrection, and those who had put their faith and trust in him became became followers of Jesus, became disciples of Jesus, and they started churches because they had believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Problem was, when Paul left these cities in, in Galatia, there were these other people that came in and they said, oh, it's, that's cool that you want to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, but really to be right with God, to have your sins forgiven, to have eternal life, you got to add some things to Jesus, Jesus alone is not enough. There's some religious duties and religious practices you've got to add to it to complete your faith. Paul gets wind of this, and he writes back to these churches, and as you read this, you're going to find out the Apostle Paul is ticked off. He is a little upset and a little bit mad because they're moving away from the gospel of Jesus Christ by adding and subtracting to it. If you're with me, say yes. So that's the context of the book of Galatians. As we jump in, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. And he starts out nice, and he starts out encouraging, and then the tone changes. Galatians 1, 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself. And if you're new to church or new to the Bible, let me help you by understanding who Paul was. Paul used to be named Saul, and he was a persecutor of the disciples and followers of Christ and of the church. One day, he's on the road to Damascus going to round up uh, some disciples and, and Christians, if you will, to have them imprisoned or killed, and Jesus himself shows up on the road. 
That got his attention. That would get my attention. And that changed his life radically. And it was a 180 in his life. And he says, I I was called by Jesus Christ himself, by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. He's touching on the gospel. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins. That's part of the gospel. Amen? Just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Why did we need a Savior? Why did we need Jesus? We all needed to be rescued. We needed to be rescued from our sin that separated us from a relationship with God. And if we die in our sins, the Bible says we'll be separated from God for all eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. But Jesus came to rescue us from that. Amen? He says he came to rescue us. All glory to God forever and ever Amen. Amen. So there's his introduction. And then he takes a right hook at him. And he's like, I am shocked. I can't believe what is going on in your churches. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way or a different gospel. You're following now a different way that pretends to be what? The good news or pretends to be the gospel, but is not the good news at all. It's not the gospel at all. You are being fooled. You're being tricked. You're being duped. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And he's very clear what he's talking to them about. He's like, you guys are being fooled. And he said, "I, I, I brought you the gospel. That it's faith in Jesus alone. But now there's people coming in saying, you need to add to it. You need to subtract from it. And the reason we are doing this series is because this is still happening today. This is still happening today. This is the difference that we're going to look at. And notice he says that there's, there's people coming in and they're pretending to bring you the gospel. They're pretending to bring you the good news, but it's not really the gospel. In other words, it is a counterfeit it's a counterfeit gospel. It's not the real deal. I happen to have uh, with me today a $100 bill, a $100 bill. Okay, you guys in the front row, you stay right where you're at, okay? Um, I don't normally carry one of these around in my pocket. I don't normally have a $100 bill. Um, I actually had to borrow this from my wife, Shelly, uh, so I would have some money today for this illustration. Uh, but this is uh, one of the, how many of you guys ever seen one of these? You ever seen one of the new $100 bills? How many of you would like to see more of these? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, but this $100 bill, th- this is the newest uh, rendition, newest series of $100 bills that came out uh, about four years ago in, in 2013. And it's got some unique features on this new $100 bill. If you, you really look at it, first thing you'll notice is Benjamin Franklin is much larger. He's kind of over to the left. And then if you hold it up to the right, um, you can see his, his picture there on the right. It's kind of a watermark there. That's kind of cool. Uh, there's a copper pot down at the bottom and inside of it is the Liberty bell and and it's kind of shiny and it looks pretty cool but one of the most unique features of the new hundred dollar bill is this blue stripe that is down the middle this blue ribbon and believe it or not this is actually not printed on the hundred dollar bill it is a ribbon that is woven into the very fiber of the hundred dollar bill and what's really cool is if you hold it up into the light and you look at this blue ribbon and you go back and forth, it, you'll see little 100. And then you'll also see these little bells. And if you move it, the bells ring. And if you listen, they, you can hear them ringing. <laughs> you listen real close. 
And the federal government, you know, reserve went to great lengths to print these new $100 bills. Now, why did they do that? Because there are so many counterfeit $100 bills that are in circulation out there. They wanted to do something to make this one stand out. And it would be clear this is the real thing. This is the, the real deal. I found out that last year um, in my research, over, they believe there was over $250 million in circulation that was seized by the federal government of, of fake $100 bills last year. Counterfeit money, $250 million. They say at any given time in the United States, there's about 2% of the money that is in circulation is counterfeit money. That means in a room this size this morning, there's probably about 10 to 15 of you that have counterfeit money in your purse or wallet. I'm going to let you look around and decide who those people might be. And if you are one of those, please don't put one of those in the offering today, okay? Now, they train federal agents to recognize counterfeit money. And you might think that the way they train them is to bring in all the counterfeit money that they find and study that counterfeit money, but that's not what they do at all. Actually, they do exactly the opposite. If they're wanting to train federal agents how to spot counterfeit money, they don't give them counterfeit money. They give them the real stuff. The real deal, what's legit, and they study it, and they look at it, and they smell it, and they feel it, and they, they, they check its weight. They know all the features of it. They know the real thing inside and out to the point that anytime anything comes along, a bill that has had something added to it or subtracted from it, it sticks out like a sore thumb because they know the real thing inside and out. If you know where I'm going with this, say yes. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to focus on the real deal, the legitimate gospel, biblical Christianity, and what is the difference. Because when you understand what that, because we don't have time to go into every religion. We're going to look at three major ones, but there are many others. But what, if you understand what the real, genuine gospel is and biblical Christianity, when something comes along that adds to or takes away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, it sticks out like a sore thumb. So here, here's what I want you to get today. If you, you don't get anything else, get, get this. It's in your notes. Write, write this down. Here's the theme of the book of Galatians we're going to be in the next several weeks. It's this. The gospel is this. Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. Jesus plus nothing. Let's say that together, church. Would you say it with me? Jesus plus nothing. That is the gospel. The problem that was happening in these churches in Galatia was they... Paul introduced them to Jesus and everything he had done for them. But then there were these group of people. They were called Judaizers. They were Jewish people that came into the church, and they found out that Jews and Gentiles alike had put their faith in Christ. And they said, oh, well, okay, that's cool. You know, you want to believe in this Jesus fellow. We don't really know if we believe in him or not. But, you know, if you really want to be right with God, you have to add some things to your faith. You have to add some things to Jesus. you got to add some religious duties. you got to add some religious practices in order to be right with God. It's, it's not Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus religion. It's Jesus plus surgery. Some of you all are like, what are you talking about, Willis? It's Jesus plus circumcision is what was going on in Galatia. These Jewish people were saying, well, you, it's Jesus, but to be right with God, you got to also, you got to make sure you t- do this religious practice of circumcision. Now, some of you that may be new to church and new to the Bible, you may not know what circumcision is. So if you'll go to our Got Questions corner after this service, <laughs> our executive pastor, Ryan Dickinson, will be there to elaborate on that. I think he has an illustration book. 
I think it's a pop-up book. I Did that just happen? Hey, one of, one of our, our values is we keep it real, right? Okay, I need to move on uh, before I get in big trouble. But th- let me help you out. That in, in the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, there was this Jewish practice, this Jewish law, that, that the, the firstborn, or, or all, the, all the males, when they were born, on the eighth day, they had to be circumcised. And you say, well, where did that come from? Well, there was a man named Abraham, and God came to a man named Abraham one day, and he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to be blessed, and all the nations are going to be blessed. We know that today is the nation of Israel, and God said, I'm making this promise with you. I'm making this covenant with you that this is going to happen through your family, Abraham, and and I'm going to give you a sign and symbol of this covenant and this promise that you're going to have all these descendants and this great nation is going to be born from you, Abraham, and from your wife, Sarah. And Abraham's probably like, cool, that sounds great. Okay, well, what's the symbol? And Abraham's probably thinking, like, am I going to get, you know, a necklace? Am I going to get a ring as the symbol? You know, maybe a tattoo? And and God says, no, here's going to be the symbol of my promise. It's called circumcision. And Abraham's like, all right, cool, what's that? And God's like, come here. This is my interpretation of what went down. He tells him what circumcision is, and Abraham's like, could it just be a necklace? Could it just be a ring? Could I get some bling? You know, God, come on. He's like, nope, this is it. And so what happened was that that became a part of the Jewish tradition and Jewish religion. And so then when these people, Jews and Gentiles alike in Galatia, accepted Christ because Jesus didn't come to, to destroy the law, but fulfill the law, and we find everything and all of our fulfillment in him, it's Jesus plus nothing. They said, no, it's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus some religious duties and religious practices. If you're with me, say yes. You see, the gospel is not about us trying a religion. The gospel is about us trusting in Jesus and a relationship. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with him. Let me give you sort of the theme of our whole series right here. You have it in your notes. Religion, get it this way. Religion is about earning. The gospel is about receiving. Religion is about earning, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is about receiving. Now, you got this kind of pseudo-Christianity thing that is going around today where it's Jesus plus some religious, religious duties, religious practices. Jesus plus some good works. Biblical Christianity is Jesus plus nothing, nothing. And that is exactly what Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians, and you'll see it as you read through all of it. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning comparing the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the other religions of the world, no matter what name they go by. And I want to give you four major differences to give you some handles for this series and what we're talking about. And so I hope you'll take some notes. The first difference between religion and the gospel is this. Religion is salvation through moral effort. That's what religion teaches, that salvation comes through moral effort. And if you're new to church and you're like, I've heard that word salvation, what does that mean? Salvation means that we need to be saved. What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from our sins and eternal separation from God. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. That's what we're saved from. Religion would say, if you want to be saved, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, if you want to be restored in your relationship with God, if you want to have eternal life, a home in heaven someday, if you want to have a good afterlife, then it's religion says it's salvation through moral effort. Think of it this way. Religion is work your way to God. The gospel is God worked his way to us. Big difference, right? 
What's amazing is 98% of all the religions of the world teach that if you want to be saved and have some kind of good eternal afterlife, then this is what you've got to do and this is what you've got to not do. It's all about do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. I've, I've been in many conversations with people of other faiths and other religions, and, and I've talked to them and I'll say, well, how are you going to get to heaven someday? You know, how do you know you have eternal life? And, and many times they've described it like this. Well, I believe that I'm going to get to heaven someday, and it's like God has this eternal scale. And he's going to put all my good on one side. He's going to put all my bad on the other side. And if my good outweighs my bad, I get in. If my bad outweighs my good, it's not going to be good. And I'm not going to get in. Because religion teaches salvation through moral effort. Here's what the gospel teaches. The gospel is salvation through belief in Jesus, plus nothing else. Salvation through belief in in Jesus. You know, probably the first time that we see the gospel appear in the Bible is in the first book of your New Testament in Matthew. Remember, we just celebrated Christmas. Do you remember this about the Christmas story? You remember the night of the Savior's birth, the night of Jesus' birth, that there were angels that appeared to shepherds that were watching over their flock by night? And the angels, when they appeared, they said to the shepherds, Behold, we bring you good news, the gospel of great joy, which shall be for all people for today has been born a Savior in the city of Bethlehem. They announced the good news of the gospel, that God is doing for you what you could not do for yourself to send a Savior to die for you. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not about moral efforts. Salvation is belief in Jesus. Uh, this is a verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that I love to quote. I'd encourage you to memorize this. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible about our salvation. It says this, God saved you by his grace. Everybody say grace. You say, what is grace? We sang about it this morning. Grace is unmerited favor. Another great way to remember grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We didn't do anything to deserve it. God saved you by his grace when you did the right religious practices and duties. Is that what it says, church? No, no. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Believed what? The gospel. Believed in what Jesus did for you. And you can't take credit for this. You can't take credit. I can't take credit for this because it's not about what we do or don't do. It's about what Jesus did. It is a gift from God. When does something stop becoming a gift? Whenever we have to work for it. And yet that's what religion says. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says we can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not, let's say it together, church, a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Because you know that if we could earn our salvation, we'd boast about it. Got mine in a month. Took you a year. Marcial's still working on it, you know? (laughs) It's not about what we do or don't do. The gospel says It's about our moral effort, or or excuse me, religion says it's about our moral effort, but the gospel says it's about our faith in Jesus. Again, religion is about earning, the gospel is about receiving. Let me give you another major difference between religion and the gospel. Religion focuses on what I do or don't do. It focuses on what I do or don't do. You know, it, it sounds like this, God is happy with me today because I did or didn't do these things. God's not happy with me today because I did or didn't do these things. God loves me because I did this. God doesn't love me because I didn't do this. God accepts me because I do or don't do this. God doesn't accept me. That's what religion says. Religion focuses all on what I do or don't, don't do. You know, God's happy with me as a Christian 
because I don't drink, dance, cuss, or chew, or associate with girls who do. <laughs> All right. And polish our little halo. And then other people are like, that are religious and think it's about what we do or don't do. They're like, well, I, sometimes I do drink. Sometimes I drink too much. Sometimes I do like to dance, you know? Sometimes I do slip and say a cuss word. Sometimes I do chew a little. You should stop that. Let me just tell you. And so God's happy with me. God's not happy with me. God accepts me. God doesn't accept me. We all need to hear what I'm about to say. If you're new to Christianity, you start with the gospel. If you're a veteran to Christianity, don't miss this, you stay with the gospel. And some of us desperately need to hear that. It's not about religious duties and works to earn God's favor and to earn God's love. If you're new to Christianity, you start with the gospel. Jesus plus nothing. If you're a veteran of Christianity, you stay with the gospel. Jesus plus nothing. Because here's what you need to know, and this is going to encourage some of you. Because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you're still trying to earn God's favor. You're still trying to earn God's love by what you do and you, or you don't do. God will never love you more than he does today. And God will never love you less than he does today. Because his love is perfect. It's not about what we do or don't do. It's like, my, it's like our kids. How many of you are parents? Okay? Now, sometimes your relationship with your kids is better than others based on obedience and those things. But could you ever love your kids any more than you already love them? Could you ever love them any less? And, 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 and we're imperfect. We're, we're human beings. God is perfect. His love is perfect. There's a difference between religion and the gospel. Religion focuses on what I do or don't do. The gospel focuses on what Jesus has done. Religion focuses on what I do or don't do. The gospel focuses on what Jesus has done. Circle that, if you would, in your notes. Do and done. Religion is about do. The gospel is about done. It's that simple. You know, Judaizers were coming in to Galatia saying, well, you've accepted Jesus, but there's some more you need to do. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's all already been done. It's all already been done. See, th this is so important, what we focus on. The gospel focuses on what Jesus has done. Here's why this is so important. Because what we focus on we move towards. What we focus on, we move towards. What, what, what are you focusing on in your life? What are you focusing on if you claim to be a Christian in your Christian life? You know, we just came off of, of New Year's, and some of us probably made New Year's resolutions. Now it's February. Those are long gone. Nobody's in the gym anymore. But, you know, we, we, we come into the new year, and we're going to focus on some things we're going to do or we're not going to do. And, and many times we have good intentions, and it's based on things that God has shown us in his word to be obedient to him. And, and, and so, you know, we, we, we try to be obedient to God and follow God. But, but let me give you an illustration. Let, let me say it this way, and this isn't a sin issue, but the number one resolution every year is something to do with our health and, and dieting. And, and, again, what we focus on, we move towards. And, and this, uh, I'm reminded of this because uh, I've got a big birthday coming up. I remember when I turned 30, I couldn't eat everything I wanted to anymore. So, can I have a witness? When I, turned, when I turned 40, I couldn't eat anything I wanted anymore. In 10 days, I turned 50, believe it or not. It's the new 40, come on. 
and I can't even look at food nowadays. And I remember when I was going to my 30s and 40s and all this, I mean, it used, it used to be that I could eat anything I wanted. I couldn't gain weight. I wanted to gain weight and couldn't wait, gain weight. And all of a sudden, one day I woke up and I'm like, Shelly, would you quit shrinking my clothes? How, what are you doing? They're in the dryer too long. Everything was shrinking. And I realized I needed to take off about 15 pounds. And so somebody put me onto this My Fitness Pal app, and it's really great. If you want to use it, it's, it's, it's awesome. I, I endorse it, uh, not for money. They should pay me, but because um, it works. And, and I wanted to lose 15 pounds. So you put in there, I want to lose 15 pounds. I want to do it month. And so basically it tells you, this is how many calories you can have every day if you're going to do that. And so you, I had to start paying attention to everything. You have to put everything you eat, everything you drink, put it in there. And I'd never counted calories before. And so I had my calorie count for the day. One of the things I used to love, I told you guys in the marriage series that my chick thing um, is watching chick flicks with my wife and I cry before she does. But maybe my first chick thing was actually that I loved Starbucks, white chocolate mochas with a lot of whipped cream on top. Can I have a witness? Amen. Come on now. The only problem was when I decided to start losing weight and doing my, my fitness pal, I had to go to Starbucks and I had to put in my app and it pulls up what your drinks are. That drink, and because I, I had to have a grande and I had to have whipped cream because it's not a drink if you don't have whipped cream on it, thought like 500 calories. That was my lunch for the day. And I was like, I got to stop going to Starbucks drinking, you know, once a day, white chocolate, mocha, you know lattes. And so, you know, you're driving along and there's a Starbucks and I'm like, don't go to Starbucks. Don't go to Starbucks. Don't go to Starbucks. Don't go to Starbucks. Don't have a white chocolate mocha. Don't have a white chocolate mocha. And then you go downtown. They're on every corner. Oh, don't look at Starbucks. Don't look at Starbucks. Don't get a white chocolate mocha. Don't get a white chocolate mocha. Don't get a white chocolate mocha. And you know what I always ended up doing? Getting a white chocolate mocha from Starbucks. Because that's all I was thinking about. Because we, what we focus on, we move towards. Now let's apply this to what we're talking about. You know what the problem with religion is in a nutshell? Religion focuses on sin. What we do and don't do. Are we keeping the rules or not? Are we breaking the rules? The gospel focuses on Jesus. What Jesus has done. This is what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature that always continue to sin, think about sinful things. What we focus on, we move towards. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit that he placed in us when we said yes to Jesus, think about the things that please, please the Spirit. You see, when we focus on Jesus, we move towards Jesus and we become more like Jesus. But when we focus on religion and do's and don'ts, we break the rules. There's a big difference between the gospel and religion. Let me give you another one. Religion produces pride or despair. Every time, religion produces pride or despair. When you go the, the rule route of do's and don'ts, you, you've seen this. People, are either, people that are very religious are either very prideful or they're depressed. They're very prideful. Oh, I keep all the rules. I don't do this and I don't do that. And I'm, I'm so much better than you. And look at me and I polish my halo. And they, you know what I'm talking about. They're either prideful about their rule keeping or they're depressed because they're like, man, I cannot keep all those rules. I mess up. I screw up. I sin. Religion produces pride or despair every time. If you've seen it, say yes. We've all seen it. Because here's the question. We're trying to be in a right standing with God. Here's the question. How good is good enough? How good is good enough? How many rules do you got to keep? How many rules 
Can you break and still be okay? How good is good enough? I'll tell you what the Bible says how good is good enough. Holiness. Perfection. That's good enough. Any perfect people here today that can live up to that? Okay, anybody? Anybody raising their hand close to you? They, they're not perfect any longer. They just lied to us. Okay? Religion produces pride or despair. The gospel produces humility and confidence. Humility and confidence. Let me explain it. We are humbled by Jesus' grace, by his mercy, by his love. We're humbled by his sacrifice. You remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Man, I remember when I watched that, I just bawled. I was humbled by what my Savior did for me. That's what the gospel does. It's not about what we've done. It's about what he's done. I'm humbled, but I'm also confident as a believer in Jesus. I'm not, not confident in my goodness or my righteousness or my sacrifice. It's, it's not about my righteousness. It's about his. It's not about my goodness. It's about his. It's not about my sacrifice. It's about his. And I have confidence in that. Whenever I'm sharing my faith with people, I always try to get to this question when I'm not sure if they're a believer or not. If they've truly accepted Christ, I always ask this question. So let me ask you this question. If you were standing at the gates of heaven right now and God said, why should I let you in? What would you say? And they usually go, ooh, that's a good question. What would you say? And here's, here's what I always tell them. I would say, I don't deserve to get in based on anything I've done or not done. I don't belong in heaven. I shouldn't be there. But I am confident because of what Jesus Christ has done for me I will get in, not based on my merits, but his. I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. That's the difference between the gospel and religion. Let me give you one more. Religion is motivated by fear. Religion is motivated by fear. I mean, how, how, how good is good enough? How many rules do we have to keep? What does my scorecard look like? Is God mad at me or not? Am I going to be punished? The gospel is motivated not by fear, but by love. The gospel is motivated by love. Our love for him and his love for us. What does the Bible say? We love him because he first loved us. You see, the gospel is not about earning our standing with God. It's about expressing our faith in God and what he's done for us. You remember that, uh, that $100 bill? Um, I've been known to give away money in a service. How many of you would like to have this? Don't be shy. Y'all like, this is a trick question. Okay. How, how many like to have this $100 bill? Okay. All right. Okay. Put your hands down. What, what, what if I took this $100 bill, though, and I watered it up like that? What, what if I, I stepped on it, kind of got it dirty and mashed down, and man, it's all crinkled and it's bruised. And what if I, oh, that just happened. I tore it a little bit. What, what if I did those things to this $100 bill and it's, it's wrinkled and it's torn and it's tattered and it's bruised and it's not what it was originally intended to be? How many of you would still like to have this $100 bill? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. The Bible says that God showed his love toward us when we were still sinners. 
when we were bruised and we were tattered and we were broken and we were torn, he still considered us of great worth and value and sent his son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That, that, that's, that's what the gospel is all, all about. You know how you tell the value of something? By what someone is willing to give to pay for it. And God valued us enough to send his son Jesus. Jesus paid it all. He paid everything. Here's the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything. Father, we thank you this morning for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. That it's not about religion and what we earn, but biblical Christianity, the gospel, is about what we receive. Thank you for your sacrifice. As we continue an attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed all across this auditorium, I first want to talk to those of you who are believers in Jesus, you claim to be a follower of Christ. Let me ask you this question. You started with the gospel. You put your faith in Jesus, but maybe you need to stay with the gospel. It's not about earning. It's about expressing your faith. Maybe you just say, I need, I, I need to stop focusing on do's and don'ts. I need to focus on Jesus because what I focus on, I move towards. If God has spoken to you in that way as a believer in Christ, can I pray for you? Would you lift, lift up your hands all across the auditorium? Just lift them up nice and high. I, I started with the gospel. I need to stay with the gospel. I need to focus on Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for all of us today that, God, we would, we would embrace the gospel that we started with, that we would stay with that gospel that it would be Jesus plus nothing and that anything we would do would flow out of our personal walk and relationship with you and obedience to your word, that it wouldn't be to get, gain your favor or gain your love, but it would be an expression of what you have done for us and the sacrifice that you have made. So we continue an attitude of prayer for some of you today, no doubt, there's probably some of you here today, you need to start with the gospel. You, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's not about earning, it's about receiving. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior right here in this place. To say yes to him. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. One of the ways we call on the Lord is through, through prayer. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I'm going to invite some of you to pray this prayer with me. And if you'll pray this prayer from your heart to God's in faith and believe it, you can believe and receive Jesus today. You can have your sins forgiven. You can know that you have everlasting life and a home in heaven forever. And you can begin not a religion, but a relationship with Jesus. Now, let me tell you, this is not a magic prayer, magic words that we say. But if it comes truly from a heart of faith, it changes everything. If that's you today, you know who you are. Would you pray this with me? It goes like this. Jesus, come into my life. I receive you by faith today. I know I cannot earn my salvation. Thank you for doing for me what I could not do for myself. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace and sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you. So we continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed, and eyes closed. Nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that. But if you just prayed that prayer of faith, that's the most important decision you could ever make. And I would love the privilege to pray for you, that you would just grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. I'm going to count to three. On the count of three, if you prayed that prayer with me without anyone else looking around, would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you? One, two, three. Lift them up all across the auditorium. Oh, my goodness. God bless you guys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people here. God bless you over here. Two or three people over here. One, two, three, four, five people over here. 
several on my right over here. Yes, I see your hands. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Church, let's pray for these people. Lord, I just lift all these people up today that are saying yes to you as Lord and Savior, that they have embraced, they have believed and received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we welcome them, not into a religion, but into a relationship with you and a relationship with us. We welcome them in the family of God as our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we praise God for their decision today. May they grow in their walk and relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen very carefully. If you just raised your hand, there were many of you who did, uh, maybe 25, 30 or so, I couldn't count all the hands. If you raised your hand and said yes to Jesus, that's the most important decision you could ever make in all your life. Amen, church? And so, so listen, here's what we're going to ask you to do. Uh, we've created a very special booth right out here in the lobby. When you leave, just look out and across to the right. It's the I Said Yes booth. You'll see that symbol on there. Just stop by there, and we'd like to put this little booklet in your hand that we prepared just for you to help you understand the decision you made today and how you can grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus. And listen, church, can we celebrate big time, big time, big time those that said yes to Jesus today? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you've enjoyed today's message as much as I have, then you should continue on this journey with us over the next few weeks as we begin to break open what it, the difference between the gospel and specific major religions are. Specifically next week, if you know anyone with a background in Mormonism, you're going to want to get them here as we respectively contrast what the Bible says versus what Mormons believe. And so you can invite them to that. We'll, we'll do our best to make them feel at home and feel welcome. If this is your first time, man, we're so thankful that you guys have decided to join us today. I know that a church this size, it can feel overwhelming. Maybe you feel like just another face in the crowd. But we want to give you the opportunity to make yourself known. So in just a moment, when the ushers come forward to receive an offering, that bucket goes by. We are not asking that you would give us anything other than that connection card that you have in your newsletter. We want a chance to get to know you better, maybe answer any questions you have, and we can also mail you that, that gift. Hey, in this moment right now, we're going to close our time by worshiping. Worship is simply a response to who God is and what he's done. And when I'm reminded that Jesus paid my debt for my sins and he gave his best, he gave his life, what better way than to give back to him what he's given us through our tithes and our offerings? Or maybe if you're like me and you just give online each month, then this is a great opportunity to respond in the song that we've prepared and planned for this moment because it keeps us focused on this theme that we're talking about. And it not only allows us to, to think about God, but also to express our feelings. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand. And let's take advantage of this moment and respond in worship. If you just prayed that prayer and said yes, we want to invite you. You can leave right now. Go to that booth and get your booklet while the rest of us stay put and worship. Thank you guys for being here.